0: you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 4 and 5. While you're turning there, I, I meant to make one other announcement early this morning. Um, you've probably seen it in the bulletin and on the screen, but I'm going to make it anyway. Um, Troy Sadowski was supposed to be with us on the last Sunday of this month. He's a former Georgia tight end, I think. I'm not a big sports fan, but um, also played for several NFL teams Um he was going to be with us to share his testimony, but he contacted me this week, and his wife got bumped up on um, hip replacement type surgery, and so um, he asked if he could just reschedule, um, because that would be the Friday before he comes here, and he didn't feel like he needed to leave her that soon after her surgery, so that was fine with me. But Chris had already asked me about the youth, um, sharing some of their experiences from camp, sharing some personal testimonies about what the Lord was doing in their lives and what they saw and experienced. And so um, we're just going to designate the fifth Sunday to a youth Sunday and let them share some testimonies, let Brother Chris preach, and then we'll have our uh, regular dinner on the grounds after that. Um, I'm probably just going to do one more week. I'm really just considering next week just kind of doing a whirlwind tour through the tribulation, and um, not that I'm going to cover anything in specifics, but just kind of give you a a broad overview of what the rest of the book looks like, and we're probably going to end the Revelation series next week, Lord willing. I don't know any way to make all those applications from the tribulation to to us, to the church. And so I'm not going to get bogged down in all that. And we'll shift that probably to a Wednesday night Bible study a little bit later on after the summer ends. Um, But chapter 4 and 5, I want to come back and revisit this. I spent two weeks, I know, talking about the rapture of the church, which I believe is is not specifically taught, but it's alluded to um, in Revelation chapter 4. And um, chapter four begins the hereafter portion of the book of Revelation. He said, "Told John, I want you to write the things that are, um, the things that the things that you've seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter." And so John wrote the vision. He wrote the message to the letters to the seven churches, which is um, for the present time. And then chapter four began with that hereafter um, portion. And so everything from this point forward in the book of Revelation, I believe, um, is future sense. And, and most of it is chronological there are some parenthetical chapters that are inserted in there that just kind of give us an, a, an outside view of what's going on but most of it is chronological from this point forward future tense tribulation second coming um, millennial kingdom um, and, then, and then the final judgment of the new heavens and new earth but all that's future sense in and, and John chapter 4 John is transported in the spirit into heaven that's where he remains now. Um, through the remainder of this, he was on earth. He had that vision on earth, but now he's transported into the Spirit, or by the Spirit, into heaven. And, and he's witnessing um, events in heaven that affect life on earth. And, and, and um, Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is essentially the behind the scenes directing. Of of what's happening on the earth during the great tribulation and at the end at the second coming. So, um, I've entitled this Central Command and Creation's Claim because this is this is literally this is literally command central in heaven. This is where everything that happens on earth during the tribulation is being dictated and directed from, and. um uh, I'm going to read all of chapter 4 and chapter 5, and I practiced it this morning, and I think I can do it in less than five minutes, all right? So it's, wor- it's a worthwhile read. It's not long, um, but I want to just read it so we can see the whole context of what's going on, and I'm going to come back and point some things out to you. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and, and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns, of gold. I want to just pause right there and make one reference. Four and twenty seats. That word is literally the same word that we saw. I saw a throne sat in heaven. It is the word thronos in the original. So that is literally, I saw, I saw four and twenty thrones. And I saw uh, four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment on those thrones. And they had on their head crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceedeth lightnings and thunderings and voices and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there, is, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, Neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne... And of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing, And honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped Him that liveth forever and ever. So these two chapters, I believe, represent the physical beginning of, of the reclaiming and regeneration of all of creation and taking it back to its original design. And, and before this creation can be regenerated, and Jesus spoke of that regeneration, before it can be regenerated and recreated and set back to its original design, it must first be purged of sin. And so what this, what this is is the, is, the, is the actual physical beginning of the purging of this planet of its sin and of the curse of sin and the reclaiming and restoration of this planet back to its original purpose. So this is central command. This is literally the hub of the entire universe. This is the very throne room of God who created this universe for his glory, for his pleasure. It was and is created. Now, um, there's no way to be sure about all of these symbols. And you can speculate until Jesus comes and still be wrong about them all. There are some of the things that are explained to us in the text that those things symbolize certain things. Um, and, and John made note of the symbolic things, and there were some things that he unveiled for us and told us what those symbols meant. Um, but there some things that are not revealed to us, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time speculating. I may give you a little bit of insight about what some people say about it, but there's no way for us to be sure. One thing that we've got to keep in mind is that John is trying to use human language to describe a heavenly scene. And anytime you try to describe something that's heavenly in earthly terms, you're always going to fall short. And so, uh, but but John he, he gave us a uh, literally he just writing down what he saw. He's writing down his experience of being transported uh, into the throne room of God. The apostle Paul was apparently at some point in his life taken in the spirit into the same place, and he said he saw things um, that were that he was unable to utter that he had that were unlawful for him to speak about. John saw these same things, and God has given him the liberty to write to us about him. I'm not going to go back and read all these verses again, um, but when he's describing to us what he sees in chapter 4, he tells us what's on the throne or who is on the throne. And that, that on the throne is about an occupation. And he's not seeing the form of a man. What he's seeing is an unimaginable beauty, and he's describing that beauty to us. Um, jasper and sardine jasper he said in another place in Revelation that the jasper that the Bible is talking about here is as clear as crystal what is a clear crystal jewel that you see in the world today a diamond right Um, the sardine stone is a is a probably a ruby, it is a, it is a blood red stone. Now, these two stones, I, again, we're speculating a little bit here, but you've got a, the purity of the diamond and the, and the red of the sardine or the, or the ruby stone, and so those two things together may speak of uh, of atonement in the red and purity uh, in the diamond. Um, this is interesting to me, and, and you, I think you can make a little bit of speculation on these, when you go all the way back to the New Testament and look at the, high, at the, at the breastplate of the high priest, the first stone in that breastplate um, and the last stone in that ble- breastplate were, uh, were that, were, was the jasper stone and the sardine stone. Same stones, first and last. And so this is the bookends of that, of that high priest. The first stone represented Reuben who was the first son uh, born to Jacob. And, and Reuben's name literally means behold a son. Benjamin was the last son born to Jacob and his name means son of my right hand. So these two colors that he sees I think are representative uh, of that divine son of God, um, the the firstborn, the only begotten son of God. Both of these stones I think are representative of the priesthood work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, The Shekinah glory of God is, is probably what John is seeing. The same glory that they saw in the wilderness um, the same glory that they saw on, on Mount Sinai. This is the glory that, that John is seeing. Uh, and everything that follows this revolves around this throne. Everything about this whole text is encircling. It, it, it is involving this whole hub of creation uh, where God sits. And let me just say this before we move on. Christ is the full revelation of God's glory. If the Bible says that the glory of God was revealed to us in Christ in bodily form. So if you want to know what God looks like, you look at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Everything about, uh, everything about creation revolves around this throne. And everything about your eternity revolves around who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what He has done for you. Then he tells us that there are some things round about the throne. And if you look that word up, it literally means that they encircled the throne. Literally, it means from the circle or all around. There are two things that he says that are round about the throne. The first is vertical. It is it is in this context. And it is, he said, it is an emerald rainbow. Not just a partial rainbow because it fully encircles the throne. It is a fully encircling emerald Rainbow, um, the full circle of the covenant. When you think about the, the rainbow in the Old Testament, um, after Noah's flood, it was a symbol of God's mercy upon Noah and his family that they had found grace in the eyes of God, that God had been merciful to them, that he had spared them through the flood and that had set them back upon the earth to replenish uh, and, and restore it again. Uh, and it spoke of peace. That olive branch that the, that, the, that the dove brought back, olive is emerald in color. And so you've got this emerald colored rainbow, I think, that represents the full circle of the covenant, um, a new life, a new beginning. This is what God has promised and it's all coming to pass now. Horizontally, round about the throne this way, there are 24 thrones with 24 elders, which means I believe that they have a delegated authority that comes from God. It's not just a seat. The word is thronos, the same word that's used for God's throne. But this is a delegated authority. This is authority that God gave to them. Uh, they, they wear white robes and they wear victor's crowns, which is a, which is a um, I think, not a symbol. I think what that tells us is that these are men who were redeemed. They're not heavenly beings uh, in the sense that they've never been on earth. They were, they had, they were like us. But they have been redeemed from among men. And they wear those white robes of God's righteousness, uh, of Christ's righteousness. They wear those golden crowns, the victor's crowns that the Bible promises to all who believe in them. But they have a delegated authority from God to rule and reign with him. And they said themselves to rule and reign on earth, which is at the end of the story. Um, I don't know who they are. I don't think any of us know who they are. There are some promises that were made to the apostles that they would sit upon the thrones and reign with him. Maybe this is part of um, that. But there were 12 apostles and there are 24 of these elders, so that doesn't fully answer the question. Some say that they are the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. Some say it's a representative. They're a representative of Israel and the church. One thing that's interesting to me is that John is not the only one that's ever been ushered into the throne room of God, but, but these... Elders are not seen in pre-cross visions. They're not there in those pre-cross visions. So these are men, I believe, that were redeemed and that were part of the visible church upon the earth, which is a priesthood of believers. Israel had one tribe that was a priesthood. Um, the Bible says that all of us were made kings and priests unto our God. We, we, we have been brought into a priesthood. We don't have to go to a priest. We have a high priest, passage of the heaven, and we can enter into that um, to that same throne room that he's in boldly because of God's grace that's been lavished upon us. So when I see these 24 elders all I see, I don't think it's 12 patriarchs and 12 apostles. I don't necessarily think it's representative of Israel and the church. I think these are 24 people that God has ordained the authority to rule and reign upon the earth because of their faithfulness to him as redeemed saints. They are the leaders of the priesthood of the saints. Now I think I can, I can just summarize this. These things are encircling the throne horizontally and vertically. And I think what they represent is that all the promises of God and the ultimate fulfillment of all of those promises are being seen in this vision by John. Not one of them has been forgotten. Then he says that there were some things that are coming out of the throne. That is, they were proceeding from the throne. Now, you go back to, to the whole scene in Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 um, On the third day when Moses went up on the mountain to to commune with God, um, the Bible said there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that were in the camp were terrified. And so John is being ushered now not into into God on earth but to God in heaven. But he's seeing the same kind of glory being manifested there an awe-inspiring scene that is coming or proceeding from um, that throne of God. Thunder and lightning and voices all, I think, representative of the majesty, the power, the glory, the honor, the reverential fear of God that he deserves. Zate has a... uh, I got his attention. He heard me call his name. Um, he calls thunder, Gunder. But Wednesday last, not Wednesday, not this past Wednesday not because we were at the beach, but Wednesday not a week ago. He was wanting to go outside and swing, and they went, None of us wanted to take him outside and swing because it was hot. And we didn't all want to get sweated down. We wanted him to sit still for a few minutes. And so when he had his head turned. I flipped the YouTube on the television to, y'all, y'all ever do those sleep sounds where you can just black the screen out and you can listen to a thunderstorm? And so I, I, while he had his head turned, I switched the YouTube to the thunderstorm sounds and turned the volume way up. And so it was a crash of lightning and thunder, and Zay ran and got in his mama's lap and just started looking around. Gunder. <laughs> it Gundered, you know. Got his attention drew him into it he was looking for where it was coming from he was peeking out the windows trying to where did that come from i think all of this all of this that's proceeding from the throne is is an attention grabbing awe-inspiring reverence inspiring sight and sound to draw us to that center place where god is seated upon the throne we had some bad thunderstorms this week at the beach and it was it, it was funny to us um Cindy's daddy's terrified of bad weather, um, probably because of what he's seen in his line of business. Cindy's terrified of bad weather. I like to go on the back porch and sit through a thunderstorm. Um, but she has always, my kids have always, when it started thundering or the wind started blowing, she's wanted them gathered up around her as close as she could get them. And Sarah was included in that, and Sarah has made Zayce the same way. So they they were on the third floor sleeping, and and there was a second floor where Chris and Sarah slept, and then the third, the bottom floor is where Cindy and I were on one end, Zeb and Randy were on the other end. <laughs> and and in the middle of the night, you hear that clap of thunder and that lightning flash, and you'd, every every time it did it, you could hear Zace, Zace's feet, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> that door would open, and he would go in there with his mama. <laughs> Uh, this is, that that's coming out of the throne is pulling everybody's attention to the throne. There are thunder, there are lightning, there were voices. And then he said that before the throne, which is in front of the throne, he saw two things which I believe both are representative of an invisible cleansing power. The first is the seven lamps of fire which we know from other passages of Scripture, that they represent the fullness of God's Spirit that have gone out into all of the earth. What does the Spirit of God do? What what did Jesus tell us that the Spirit of God was sent to the earth to do? To convict the world of its sin, to to convince the world of righteousness, and to convert those sinners who would repent. So so this this is the Holy Spirit's cleansing power that comes forth from before the throne. And then he saw a sea of glass. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that the Old Testament temple was set up in a way to be a reflection of the temple in heaven. That, there was a, that This was a man-made temple that was a reflection of a temple that was not made with hands. So in the heavenly temple, before you approached the throne where the offerings were made and before, you, before the priests would enter into the Holy of Holies, there was in front of that a big brass bowl you might say it was huge it was I think it was fifteen foot across if I remember right, held somewhere around twelve thousand gallons of water, just a big brass basin that was the place where things were ceremonially washed, hands were washed, animals were washed things were washed before they were actually burned before they were actually offered and so so that 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 um, temple brass basin is probably being represented, uh, it is representative of this sea of glass that is before the throne that he said looked like, uh, looked like crystal um, Revelation chapter 15 verse 2 said that they were standing on that sea of glass um, they were standing on that sea of glass having the harps of God and what I believe the sea of glass what I believe the temple um, basin was for and what this, what this crystal sea before the throne is for is the word of God um the Jesus the Bible says that he loves the church and he washes it by his word. so there are two things that are at work at, that, that are at work at convicting and, and cleansing and converting sinners in this world and that is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and they work hand in hand with each other. the Holy Spirit and the Word of God work together to bring conviction to us they work together to bring a cleansing to us. They work together to convert us in our hearts and our minds. Uh, Only two things are going to prepare you to stand before the throne of God, and that is the indwelling Spirit of God and the sanctifying Word of God. And the only way you have these two at work in your life is through the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to it. And then he tells us that in the midst of the throne, that means that they were very near to the throne. Um, John called them, or the the King James translators use the term beast here. Um, there are other places in the Book of Revelation that the term "beast" is used, but it's two different words. One is zoon, z-o-o-n, and the other one is therion. Um, Zoon is more just to signify a living creature. Um, the therios is is more a designation of the nature of that creature, and it's almost always in a bad sense of the word. So, I think a better translation of that is that there were four living creatures. They were not like the beast that John saw come up, I see that was the representation of the Antichrist. Um, these were four living creatures. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, Isaiah saw the same thing. Uh, he, he, he was ushered into the throne room and said he, he saw seraphims. He, he gave them a name. Um, they had six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with, with two... Um, they did fly, and they sang the same song that's being sung in the book of Revelation. In chapter and verse 3, they cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now, I'm not going to go read it, but if you go read it, Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel gives you a full description of what, these, what they looked like and what they did. Um, he gave a detailed description in Ezekiel chapter 1 of this same vision that John has just given us a glimpse into. These are the seraphim. They are literally the guardians of God's throne. They are very likely the highest order of, arch- of, of angels that exist in heaven. Their sole responsibility is to lead the choir of the universe in bringing God glory. They don't leave the throne. Now you know that there are angels that we're familiar with, Gabriel and, and Michael, who are archangels. Um, only two I think we have named in scriptures. They're sent different places they have responsibilities in different places and over different peoples but these four beasts never leave the throne of god they never leave his side they are the guardians of the throne who lead the choir in perpetual worship of god now i don't i don't think any of us know why they look the way that they did john specifically talked about how their faces looked there were four different faces i've heard um, that they're all representation of Christ as, as he is represented in different ways in the Gospels. And the Gospels do portray Christ in different ways. That may be so. Um, some say that they're symbolic of, of God being over all of creation. Um, tame beast, wild beast, birds of the air, mankind in general. Um, there's a lot of speculation about why they look the way they look and I don't think any of us can be sure. Uh, omniscience and omnipresence by... Um, by the way that they cover themselves. Also, the wings, I think, could, could represent their humility, their zeal, and their service. With two, they cover their face. With two, they cover their feet. And with two, they fly. And so all of those things are possible, but they're, all of them are just speculations. But they are their appearance and their, and their declaration demands a reverential awe. They declare that all of creation fall at the feet of the God whose throne they guard and worship Him. When you get to the end of chapter four, it kind of sets up the scene for chapter five. And, and this is a powerful statement. Um, those, those four and twenty elders declared that God was worthy. And the reason that he is worthy to receive glory and honor and power is that because he created all things. For his own pleasure, he created all things. They are and were created for his pleasure and for his glory. And that kind of introduces us to what's going on then in chapter 5. Now, I, I, when, I, when I read that last verse, there's a song that immediately came to my mind. The third verse of that song. Um, this is my father's world. And I, and I think that this is a good segue into chapter 5. Because we look around this world right now, what we, do, what we, what we see is, is a Disaster. I mean, things are, are coming apart at the seams. It seems like it's getting worse by the day. And we know that what the Bible says is that that's true, that it's going to get worse and worse, that evil men are going to grow worse and worse, that men are going to continue to be deceived and seduced. And so when, when you read that song, it's almost a note of despair. This is my father's world. But oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems all so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied. And earth and heaven shall be won. That's where we're headed. That's the introduction to, ver- to chapter 5. Um, chapter 5 is the beginning of the physical reclaiming and regenerating of the entire creation for God's glory. So... The first part is, is command central. The second chapter is creation's claim. This is, this is where we're introduced to a scroll and a lamb. And these two take charge from this point forward in directing the affairs of the tribulation um, and the second coming of Christ. Three things about the scroll. Three things about the scroll. I know the, I know the King James Version calls it a book, but if you look up the word, it literally is a seven-sealed scroll. If you, can, if you imagine a scroll... Um, it, it doesn't have seven seals on the outside edge. It has a seal that you unroll to find another seal, which you unroll to find another seal. When all seven seals are broken, the scroll is completely unrolled. This is, this is, this is what is being pictured here. Um, every seal that is broken opens up a new revelation to us. But, but, but three things I want you to know about the scroll. The first one is held in the right hand. John said, it was in the hand of the one who sat upon the throne. That is Almighty God. Um, it speaks to the importance of that scroll. It speaks to the authority of that scroll. The best, the best definition that I've ever heard, the best um, description of this scroll that I've ever heard is the title deed to creation. With all the authority of God with all the importance of being in God's right hand. This is the title deed to all of creation. Um, In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God made Adam his authoritative steward on earth. He gave Adam the world and said, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue it, have dominion over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So God made Adam his representative on earth to guard and guide the creation for God's glory. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, Adam lost it. He lost the title deed to creation. He was evicted from the garden that God placed him in. He was brought up under the curse of sin, and Satan became the prince of this world. Jesus fix and take that back. It's sealed with seven seals, which represents perfect judgment. After every seal is broken there is a consequence that is immediately seen on earth. We're going to take a whirlwind tour through some of that next week so I'm not going to say a whole lot about it but, but every time a seal is broken creation moves a little bit closer to its climax. History m- moves a little bit closer to its end um, which is the second coming of Christ when the second Adam returns to establish his eternal kingdom on the earth forever and forever. So the scroll is the rest of the story. The, the scroll is the rest of the story. It's the end of the book. Ezekiel chapter 2, Ezekiel saw this same scroll. If you look at verse 9, he says, I look, behold, a, a, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. Verse 10 says, He spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. This is the tribulation being unfolded before Ezekiel. The third thing I want you to notice about the scroll, it is an unveiling of God's redemption, His judgment, and His restoration. But the third thing I want you to mention is that it could not be, I want you you to see is that it could not be opened by unworthy hands. Um, It was so holy, so significant, so important that the Bible says that nobody could open it, nobody could read it, and nobody could look upon it. And if you look at what John said, he was so grieved. that The literal translation of what John said in that verse is that I wept and wept and kept on weeping. Now why would John weep like that over a scroll that could not be opened by unworthy hands? Because he knew that whatever, whatever that scroll contained, whatever it was that was in the right hand of the one who sat upon the throne, that nobody on earth or under the earth was... was He knew that whatever that scroll contained was what the whole world needed. And then there was that introduction by one of the elders. Three things about the lamb is that he was introduced first as a lion. Now if you understand what the elder said, he was going back to the Old Testament prophecies and and he said... um, don't you don't need to weep anymore because the line of the tribe of Judah the root of david hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals so so that what the elder how, how the elder described the this worthy entity was as a line the line of the tribe of judah the prophetic fulfillment of that Promise that was made, the root and offspring of David. Another prophetic statement made about the Messiah, um, and so the elder sees the Lamb not as he had been, but as he is, the ruling and the reigning King. Um, the word prevailed there is nikeo, which means to conquer. He said, "This is the one who has conquered. This is the one who has." Prevailed. This is the one who is able to loose, to open the scroll and loose the things that are written, to set in motion the things that are written therein. Now when John looked for the line, he saw a lamb as it had been slain. Center stage, bearing the marks of sacrifice for sin, redemption for sin. Um, ready to rule and reign. Now, why did why did the elders say this is the lamb, and why did John or, this is the lion, and why did John see him as the lamb? Because that's how we're always going to see him on this side of eternity. The lamb that was slain, the lamb that shed his blood for our sins, the lamb of God who has taken away our sins, and because he has done that, he has the right to rule and reign over our lives. But now, would you agree with me that though I have given the Lord Jesus Christ, I have submitted my life to him, you have submitted your life to him, he has cleansed us by his own blood, Um, he has bought us with his blood, he has bought us with that price, and therefore we are called to glorify him in our body and with our spirit because we belong to him. He has the right to rule and reign over our lives. Most of the world doesn't look at him that way. We know who he is and we know what he's done. And on this side of eternity, we're going to see him as the lamb. But one day, all of this world is going to see him as the lion. And we're going to know him as he is and see him as he is. Uh, I'm, I'll probably say this again next week. But every time the, the lamb opens one of those seals and his judgment is poured out upon earth, heaven, and all the occupants of heaven, us included, will say amen just and worthy are just and right are you in all of your judgments what happened then was a was was that a spontaneous worship service broke, broke out he took the scroll and heaven and earth erupted in praise a new song was sung because a new day had begun and if you go back and read the song it was a song of redemption it was a song of reconciliation It was a song that that was looking forward to the eternal reward and the eternal right to reign that Christ would give to His people. You have redeemed us. You have reconciled us to God. You have made us kings and priests unto God, and we shall reign. Not we are reigning on earth, but we shall reign on earth. That is a promise God has given to the saints that will be fulfilled as the scroll is unrolled. Now, the only one worthy and able in this entire universe of delivering our souls and this world from the eternally damning curse of sin is the Lion and the Lamb. That's it. I know that is the most exclusive statement that can be made. There is no other way to access the throne room of God and the glories of heaven apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one else worthy. He is building His kingdom right now. One soul at a time one heart at a time, one person at a time, every person that puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Lord and Savior is born again. That be, but That's the work, that's the beginning of the work of, of the reclaiming, the reconciling, the regenerating that will finally be fulfilled in the glorification of our bodies and our, inhabit, our, our inhabiting a new heaven and a new earth where heaven and earth literally become one. so we've covered a lot of ground and I know I, there ain't no way you can do these two chapters justice there ain't no way you can take earthly words and describe what John saw in a way that's going to bring the same kind of reverential awe inspiring worship that inspired that scene but I'm, I'm here to tell you one day we're going to see what John saw And we're going to have the same kind of experience that John had when we fall down at his feet and worship the one, the only one, who was worthy. So my question to you this morning is very simple. Have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ today? Have you trusted him as your personal Lord and Savior? Are you worshiping him right now? With your life and with your lips. Do you do you get this? That every being in heaven right now is falling at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. On their faces in worship. Are you worshiping Him? What the Bible makes very clear to us is that one day all of creation, not just part of it, all of it, is going to declare that Jesus is worthy of power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I've heard some blasphemous people on this earth say, my knee won't ever bow. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 says that God has so highly exalted Jesus and given him that is a name that is above every other name that at that name at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm here to tell you every knee's gonna bow. But only those knees that bowed on this side of eternity will be redeemed, reconciled, regenerated, restored to God's original plan and purpose for for this planet and for our lives on this planet. If he were to call us home today, if if the trumpet were to sound today, if, if, if today were your final day on earth, would you be ready? You know, I think those that are worshiping him now are preparing themselves for that glorious occasion when we finally see him face to face and we give him the glory that he's worthy of. Let's stand. Lord, I thank you for these two chapters. Thank you for rolling back. That curtain that separates us, giving us a glimpse into the very center of the universe all that is and all that ever will be revolves around you and who you are and what you've done. And you're so worthy. So, so very worthy of our worship. Worthy of our surrender. Worthy of our submission. Lord, I pray you'd help us to do that. Not just when we see you face to face, but right now while we trust you by faith. And I pray, God, that if there's one here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, may today be the day that that changes. May today be the day that their life changes. May today be the day that their eternal destiny changes just have your will and your way God I I wish that there was something that I could say some way that I look for pictures on the the internet that would somehow give a depiction but nothing will ever nothing will ever measure up and in a way I'm glad of that because one day we're going to see it for the first time in all of the glory that John saw it and we're going to worship like all of heaven is worshiping him right now have your will and your way in this invitation do whatever you want to do and we'll praise you for it in Jesus name Amen